Hey, welcome to a new episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP number 118. I'm your host, Dorian, and on today's podcast, we wish Jacob DeGrom the best. And special guest, Brad Galley, Denver-based comedian, talks about the Colorado Rockies and the Sopranos. But first, I'm going to tell you about what I drink, as I always do. I'm going to have, well, I've been drinking. I'm not going to lie to you. It's called an Auspex. It's a nut brown ale, so you know it's strong and it makes hairs grow on your chest, whether you're a man or a woman. Auspex doesn't care. And it's from a good local brewery called Nepenthe Brewing Company in Baltimore, Maryland. For those of us who didn't study the classics at university, Nepenthe actually is an ancient Greek word for chasing away sorrow. So the people over at Nepenthe Brewing Company are pretty witty. Because here's a beer, you come in with a problem. Here's a beer, and you're gonna forget. You're gonna forget about your problems. I don't. I don't have too many problems, thank God. Knock on wood. But the Texas Rangers and Jacob Degrom have some problems because, specifically, Jacob Degrom. As you know, Jacob Degrom is gonna have season-ending Tommy John surgery on his right elbow for the second time. I talked about Jacob Degrom and the Rangers back in episode 111 that. That was the week that he, I think he missed a start because he had a sore right wrist and he was actually supposed, he was scheduled to pitch against the Oakland Athletics. And I made a joke of like, well, DeGrom is going to miss the next couple of starts because he had tightness in his back. He had an ingrowth toenail, whatever. It was a joke. I love Jacob DeGrom, but this is the second Tommy John surgery he's having in 13 years because the first one he had was back in 2010. And for those of you who are still in, in school doing pre on a pre-med track, the Tommy John surgery is actually the ulnar collateral ligament, which is inside the elbow. You see, I actually, I did pay attention to biology class. I'm not a pre-med student. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and as a baseball fan, man, I love Jacob DeGrom. This year alone, he only had six starts, but his ERA plus was 162, 162. To remind you, an ERA plus, the average pitcher in Major League Baseball is 100. So he was 62% higher than the average pitcher in just six starts. The Texas Rangers signed him to a $3 trillion contract over the over the winter when everyone is telling them, don't do it. You know that Jacob deGrom is injury prone. I wanted the Atlanta Braves to sign Jacob deGrom over the winter, knowing that he's injury prone. I'm like, this guy, he's Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher of his generation again he has injury issues and so far the texas rangers haven't minded because they're in first place in the american league west division 40 wins 21 losses the best run differential in major league baseball 154 that's better than los angeles dodgers that's better than than the atlanta braves that's better than the tampa bay rays that's a heck of an accomplishment so the rangers really haven't missed jacob Degrom. And neither has the Rangers pitchers because that pitching staff, they have the fourth best ERA in all of baseball. And my favorite stat so far of the, of the Rangers pitchers is they've issued the second fewest walks in all of baseball, which means when you play against the, to the Texas Rangers, they aren't giving you free passes to first base. That's not happening. You have to earn your way to first base. And that's how they're able to do run prevention. And that's how they've been able to win 40 of their first 61 games. 
there's always people who are like, well, look at the schedule, this, that, and the other. Look, every, this year, everyone is playing the same schedule, more or less. Obviously, you have your you play against your division more than everyone else. But at, at least for the first time ever in 2023, everyone in baseball is playing everyone else at least three times. Or is it two times? Never. The point is, it doesn't really matter. But I'm really interested, and I do want to watch some games over the next two weeks because the Rangers' schedule over the next two or three weeks is hellish. They're playing a series against the Los Angeles Angels. Then they play the Toronto Blue Jays. Then they get a breather against the Chicago White Sox. Then the New York Yankees. Another breather with the Detroit Tigers. And finally, playing the Houston Astros, which I believe is at the end of the month. You're talking about, potentially, four playoff games four playoff teams of the next six series come let's say july 2nd july 1st july 3rd let's say just forget about it independence day then we'll really know where the texas rangers stand i'd love to see the rangers in the playoffs why well well obviously we're not going to see jacob de but oh jacob de i remember I remember seeing a Jacob DeGrom game in person. I actually went with DeCarlo. This was this must have been in either, let's say 2017. I think that was the year that he won the Cy Young. The Atlanta Braves played the New York Mets at Citi Field. We, we took the seven train out to Citi Field. And the Braves pitcher that day was Annabelle Sanchez. I think he, re- he actually retired, what, like a few months ago or last year? Jacob DeGrom pitched, I believe, eight innings. He gave up one run, one run. The Mets beat the New York, the New York Mets beat the Atlanta Braves two to one. And Jacob DeGrom, Jacob freaking DeGrom drove in both of the Mets runs to win the game. Admittedly, that was a bad Atlanta Braves team. But the fact that a pitcher, and this was back when the National League still, the policy was that pitchers had to had to hit which I'm a big fan of Jacob DeGrom beat a major league baseball team by himself I was I've always been in awe of Jacob DeGrom and it's sad that he is unfortunately injury prone and I'd love to see him come back but for a pitcher to come back not off of it this is not going to be his first Tommy John surgery this is going to be his second that is a humongous hurdle I'm mentally prepared never to see him pitch again, honestly. I don't want that to happen. But you have to come to terms with that. And even if he does come back, he might come back as a back-of-the-rotation type of guy. I don't I don't know. We're not. We're going to have to wait until September 2024 when he probably pitches for the first time in, in, in the majors again for the Texas Rangers. That is a sad state of affairs. And... Just like our friends over at Nepenthe, ne- 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 we're going to have to have, have a drink for that. But also, the drink is to celebrate how awesome the Texas Rangers have been this year. But another sad thing is not just Jacob DeGrom's Tommy John surgery, his second Tommy John surgery. Another sad thing is the sad state of affairs of the Colorado Rockies. Last place, National League West. But I'm not going to get too much into that because this week's guest is going to talk a little bit more about the Colorado Rockies. And you can see what I'm drinking, what's driving away the sorrow of not seeing Jacob DeGrom for probably the next 14 months on social media. Follow the podcast, Instagram, and it's on Twitter. We always have the picture of what the heck we're drinking every week. If you want to follow it, follow. And if you don't, no big deal. And this summer, 
We're going to be going to places. We're going to be driving to places. We're going to be taking the train, but preferably the airplane, because that's where our sh- this week's show sponsor comes in, AirCal. AirCal makes it easier to get to where you need to go on the West Coast every day from San Jose. For discount fares to Vancouver, Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Denver, call AirCal's single call service, 1-800-4-AIRCAL. AirCal, we make flying easy. When I go out to LA later this year, or even just to California, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some AirCal flights. Probably to go see the San Francisco, San Francisco Giants. I, haven't, I have not seen the Giants in, the, in that stadium. But one place I'm definitely not going to go is to go to the, the uh, Oakland Coliseum. I refuse to ever go to the Oakland Coliseum because I am not going to put a single penny into the pocket of that selfish, horrific owner, Fisher, of the Oakland Athletics. Because as you know, he's going to, he, the, the Oakland Athletics are leaving Oakland in, I think, three seasons to go out, three years, three or four years, to move out to, Oak, to Oakland, to move from Oakland to Las Vegas. Does Eric Cal go there? I don't know. We got to look that up. But nevertheless, I'm not as, I'll see the Athletics on the road. I am never going to put a penny, not a, a, a not an overpriced $27 beer into the, into the pockets of stupid Fisher, the owner of the Oakland Athletics. All right, we're going we're gonna to go off on a tangent here. <laughs> Let's imagine ourselves in an Air Cal flight going out to Denver to go see our next guest perform. This week, our special guest is Brad Galley, a Denver-based comedian. Brad, welcome to Hipster Baseball Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, Dorian. This is cool. I'm going to hit you right from the top, from the top turnbuckle, as they do in, in World Wrestling Federation, or World Wrestling Entertainment. Okay. What Sopranos character are you and why? What Sopranos character am I and why? Oh, God. Did you know that's my favorite show? Well, your social media only says it. So I get, in, a, in a word, yes. Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess it does say that on my Instagram. That's It takes some very basic research. I'm like, well, this guy really did his homework. But uh, no, that's a good question. What Sopranos character would I be? You know, I'd like to think I'm Tony Soprano. And I'm definitely not Tony Soprano. If the character that I would be, probably the Ducks in the first season. That's that's what I would call me. No, like okay. a more honest answer. I think I'm I'm more like Johnny Sack. Definitely more like Johnny Sack. I, you know, I'm faithful to my yeah. girlfriend. Love her more than anything. But uh, you know, I have a have a temper at times that can get in the way. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely more of a Johnny Sack type in anything yeah i don't i don't know you but i i can see that well yeah. thank you you also had had you also had a sopranos podcast I, I always ask this what is the obsession with sopranos i see them as a bunch of lazy bozos i i don't i don't get the whole soprano thing i didn't i never made it even through season two fair enough well the thing the, the podcast i had it was that was named after a line that was in the sopranos and that was kind of the cover art for it, but it wasn't technically a podcast about the Sopranos. It was just a, there, there really was no theme behind it. Didn't last that long, but my co-host and I liked the show so much that we just kind of used, used that as a title. I don't know the, the appeal of the Sopranos. It's uh, I don't know the, the character development is great. It's one of the best pilot episodes I ever think. You're not wrong about them being bozos. I think that's part of why, I really enjoy it. Like these guys, they're they're not geniuses. 
by they're, they're not these criminal masterminds they're just kind of these dumb jersey suburban guys with you know like tony soprano has you know like a suburban family a wife that doesn't like him that's always nagging him kids that drive him crazy but his job just happens to be you know he's the boss of a crime family that's kind of the appeal of the show it's a show where i mean there's a lot of things about the the sopranos family and people in it that i can relate to my own life and my own family but just obviously the one part being you know my family's not in the mafia so it was it was that you know maybe that's a very very well hidden secret from you yeah that's a good point yeah for overall i am italian so i mean someone somewhere down the line maybe but uh yeah that was the appeal of the show to me and it was also i I just found the show really funny i view that show as more of a comedy than anything i think i think the only character i found redeeming was uh silvio 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 yeah, Silvio. yeah, Silvio, the the second, I don't think I want to say second in command, but the... Yeah, uh, that's what uh, it was, the, the consigliere. Is yeah, what the, the, term special, is, but yeah. the senior advisor exactly. to Tony, and he always seemed the most well-balanced, and he actually, he was actually wise. But I agree, I do agree with something that you're hinting at. The Sopranos is what, is was one of the most brilliantly written, not what, let's say sitcoms, shows Mm-hmm. On HBO, on TV, not not TV because it's HBO. That old tagline. You exactly. as a comedian, you do a lot of writing. Where does your inspiration come from when you're writing material to perform on stage? I mean, a lot of my stuff's observational, so it's it's pretty much just everyday life stuff. It's just something that happened to me or something I've noticed. It's I'm I'm kind of a storyteller, but it's it's not really a lot of long form storytelling. So it's pretty, you know, autobiographical. That's just kind of my inspiration for most of the stuff. I have, I mean, I'm not, I have, I guess, some jokes that like dabble in politics. I work in the service industry and I've had, I, you know, I have for about 18 years. So I have a lot of jokes that kind of center around working in that industry. And I like sports a lot too. So I definitely have probably 10 minutes of sports related jokes. So just things that I like or things that happen to me, basically. But you talked about, it's telling a story. What's the story with your love for the Colorado Rockies? Uh, well, you know, I was born in Colorado in 1989. I was born in Pueblo, Colorado. It's a town two hours south of Denver. And, you know, the Rockies became a team in 1993. So once, you know, I was, that's, ba- you know, my earliest memories, because that's kind of when you start to make memories around that age, like three or four. My earliest memories, I can remember, like, oh, we're getting a major league baseball team here. So I've been I didn't have time to pick another favorite team. So I was like, oh, this is this is my team. My dad and a bunch of my uncles went to the first ever home game back at uh, the Old Mile High in 1993. And then I went to my first ever game at Old Mile High in 1994. Don't remember it that well. But when Coors Field opened in 1995, I went to probably like three or four games with my dad and then was just, you know, a fan for life, basically. After that, played baseball growing up. And, you know, the Rockies were a really fun expansion team. They had the Blake Street Bombers, and they had, they made the playoffs in 95, which they had a good team. And they were never, you know, really great after that. But, you know, they hit the ball out of the ballpark. They were an exciting team to see. And they it, was, the, it was pretty easy to be a fan early on. And the I ballpark do like those was purple, really nice. The purple jerseys as well. Their uniforms are pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, definitely at the time. Because, they, you know, they became a team the same year as the Marlins. So they had purple as their primary color. And Miami had that teal so they had these new colors that people had never seen in baseball before and i remember like in the early 90s a lot of people like bought up the rockies and marlins apparel because like oh this just kind of looks cool it's something 
new and it was something very 90s about it too like those were 90s colors that people were kind of sporting back then so and then the and then the arizona diamondbacks they stole that same purple from the colorado rockies because originally diamondbacks were purple and i think purple and white and then they changed it to like the red and gray or whatever yeah i do love those old diamondbacks uniforms too and i think they have they'll wear them maybe they're not doing it this year but they would wear them in like specific games last year. They'd wear the throwback, like the white vest with the purple hat. And the, I do like those hats a lot, but I think because they're in the same division as the Rockies, there was, there's some weird rule that two teams in the division couldn't have the same primary color maybe, or I don't think so. Or maybe they just didn't, they didn't like the fact that they had a similar color as the Rockies. So they're like, we need to have kind of our own identity because they're two. The States are pretty close to one another and they both became teams around the same time. Yeah. They share a spring training complex, so they're like, maybe we need our own identity. And the Rockies are purple because of the line Purple Mountain Majesty. And there's no real purple in Arizona, so they're like, we'll go with some more desert tones, I guess, and do that. So but I do I do like those old Diamondbacks unis. Yeah, they are they are really nice. And speaking uh-huh. of uniforms, one of the uniforms I don't like about the Colorado Rockies is the terrible City Connect uniforms that they came out with last year, in my opinion, because they look like janitors every time they go up to bat. I don't that know how you feel about I don't know how you feel about them because I have seen on by cursory research you have in one of your pictures a the City Connect hat when you went to a Colorado Rockies game I think like this year or last year. Yeah, I do like the hats a lot. I will say that uniform grew on me a lot more than I thought it would. When I saw it debut last year, my initial reaction like this is horrible. I like what they did with the uh, with the color scheme. I like that they went with something green. Because I think the idea of those uniforms was to do completely like something completely different than had been before. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. I think those uniforms are a really good first draft. When I look at them, I'm like, oh, those there's some definite tweaks I could make to these that I think would make them look a lot better. It's a little too much green. Like if it was maybe like a solid white uniform, which is more green accents, and you could keep the same hat, I'd like it a little bit more. But those uniforms were modeled after the uh, the state license plates in Colorado. So if you've yeah, ever seen green and white, yeah, yeah. If you ever seen a Colorado license plate, like the front of the jersey is exactly what the license plate looks like, which is kind of, I mean, part of me is like, well, that's stupid, but part of me likes that that they went for something kind of that ridiculous and quirky. Yeah, I like, I do like that exactly because uh, the Trailblazers for their special uniforms this year, the outline was based off like the carpet at their airports. It's like it's for whatever reason people always recognize the carpet at the Portland airport, so they put that on their uniforms and people were losing their minds over that. So I, I get the points for doing something new. I, I think that's cool. But. Yeah. I've never been to Portland, so I had no idea that. Yeah. I don't follow the trailblazers either, but uh, that, that's interesting. I, I actually have to look that up. Yeah. But it's just a, such a weird, random thing to like, Oh yeah. The, the carpet at our airport, which people love so much. That's what we're going to put on our team's uniforms. That's, that's how people identify our city. You know, better than I do there. Pe- people keep saying that, but certain not not yeah people keep saying that other people are moving out of denver moving out of colorado apparently like denver is like one of the top 10 places that people are moving out of but i pose this counterfactual there's a lot of famous people that have moved into into denver the last year russell wills the quarterback of the denver broncos but you guys might want to run him out of town and deon sanders former nfl hall of famer and Atlanta Brave, Cincinnati Reds, Major League Baseball player. Do you think yeah. 
Deion Sanders could sign a a contract with the Rockies just to be a pinch hitter. You think he can go go out there and uh, steal some bases with a new wide bases? If he could steal, doesn't he have something wrong just with this? To be his a foot? pinch runner. To be a pinch runner, I don't put it past the Rockies as doing something ridiculous like that to get him out there. But uh, it'd be fun though. It'd be fun. It would definitely like it would it would bring people to the ballpark like oh we signed you know Deion Sanders for a, a day contract but. Uh, I don't think it would be the worst publicity stunt, but he has, I, I forgot where I saw him recently, but like Dion's got like a bad foot now and he's like, he really has kind of like a hard time walking oh, really? just, know, from old injuries. So I, I don't like his chances of stealing. Oh, okay. Cause right I now. mean, Dion Sanders was, he was blazing <laughs> fast and yeah, now as the, as a new head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes college football program, that's, I'm sure that's really exciting. I don't know if you're a CU fan, but. I am like my sister went to she went to CU and was a student trainer for the football team. So when she was at school there, you know, she had two free tickets to every game. So I got to go to a few of them. So if there is I went to Metro State, which is a city school in Denver. They don't have a football team. Good D2 basketball team. No football. So if there is a college team that I root for, it's the CU Buffs. So people are pretty excited about Dion being up there. And I mean, they've been so they've been so bad as of late that I think it's an interesting experiment to see what you know, he can really do if a personality like that can bring in top talent and shake things up a little bit. Yeah. I, I think he just by his name alone, I think he can and his personality. So again, well, we're, you're going to have to give him probably three or four years to really put his, his fingerprints on that, on that yeah, program. Exactly. But talking about tickets, you said that your sister would, would, would get tickets to the Colorado Rockies game. You always say on your social media, there's always plenty of Colorado Rockies tickets. What the heck is going on overall with the Rockies? And specifically this year, we do have a time limit, though. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that's that's good. But there's not enough time. I mean, the, the main problem, it just starts with ownership. Dick Monfort, he's owned the team since its inception. His family, he made all of his money from, like, cattle farming. He's got, like, all this, this, meat, this meat money. They're called the Meat Brothers because they raised cattle. But... People say he doesn't care about winning. I don't think that's the case. I think he just, he simply just doesn't know what he's doing. And he's kind of hard headed. He doesn't, you know, want to ask for help from other people. He's like, oh, I have to, I have to, I don't know what he's trying to, to prove to people that he has to, a winning team his way. He just, he doesn't know what he's doing. And it, as, as a good boss, he's very loyal to people that work for the Rockies, almost to a fault. I mean, the, the GM, this is before Jeff Breidich, Dan O'Dowd. He was there from 1999 to 2014. So he's there for 15 years. And in and that like time, two from, playoffs yeah, appearances. Yeah, the Rockies, like went the, World, the Rockies went to the World Series in 2007, but it took a historic run for them to get there. Something that's never going to happen again. Like you can't build a team around hoping they're going to have a run like that every year. That's a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Then they went again in 2009. So you had a, a few good teams right there. But other than that, it was a lot of very lean years for the Rockies. And the guy had a job for 15 years and Dick Monfort offered him an extension. Like, he's like, I want you to stay my GM. And Dan O'Dowd had, he's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Like he was burnt out. So he quit. Then they brought in Jeff Breidich, who, you know, I was excited about it first. I'm like, all right, this is a new young guy. He has been with the team. That's another problem with the team. They never go outside and hire anyone from another organization. It's just, it's everything's in-house and it's, it's run like a family, like a family office. Exactly. That's a, yeah. I mean, he's, 
his son, this kid Sterling Monfort's like the head of scouting right now. Like why the the owner's son shouldn't have that important of a job. I mean, I, I can see him wanting to be in the organization, but it's like he, he shouldn't have that much involvement with, you know, what deciding what players the team's going to sign or something like that. I do. I do like that. You brought up the ownership part. I hammer that home all the time when you're talking about franchises. Like, why are they struggling? Why is franchise X struggling? Why are the the, the Oakland Athletics are the poster child of struggling? There is no, absolutely no reason when you have a billionaire owner like the like Fisher does with mom and dad's money from the Gap, Banana Republic, and what other Old Navy, all that money raining down on him that he uh-huh. just restricts Oakland Athletics. And the same thing with the Colorado Rockies, and it drives me crazy that the Mainstream media, for lack of a better word, sports-wise, never, ever, ever, very rarely criticizes the owners. And I don't know why, because it's not like the owners pay through some subsidiary, these guys at The Athletic, at ESPN, at Fox Sports. It, it drives me crazy. So I am 100% on board with you of it stop, It starts from the top. The rot starts from the top, like mm-hmm. the whole mafia saying, like, like the Sopranos would say. Yeah, exactly. And Montfort's lucky that the team that he owns is in Denver. I mean, I've noticed, you know, the Nuggets are in the NBA finals. A lot of people, especially here, talk about how the media doesn't really know much about the Nuggets and they don't get as much respect because they play, you know, they're in Denver. They're not on the East Coast and they're not on the West Coast. If Monfort owned a team on the East Coast, you'd hear a lot more, like say he owned the Mets, the Phillies, or even the Yankees, you would hear it constantly about how terrible of an owner he is. But he's kind of just, you know, hanging out here in Denver, making his money, and People really aren't. They're just like the, it's kind of the thing. Like even when the Rockies were in the playoffs in 2018, their last really good season, the consensus kind of always around the team is, "Oh, the Rockies suck." That's just what they are. They they always sucked. Even they're though in the playoffs, they're just a team that sucks. And it's really frustrating because he's not against spending money. Like he's put in a bunch of renovations at the ballpark. They got this crazy new jumbotron at Coors Field. He built a hotel across from the stadium with a bunch of restaurants and bars and stuff. I mean, he's, his, I think his true passion is real estate more than it is baseball. And he's not opposed to spending money. They also they, they tried to sign free agent pitchers. It's always been a problem to get good pitching at Coors Field, pitching at altitude. And, you know, they tried to they made some free agent signings in the late 90s. They brought in Mike Hampton, Daryl Kyle, and they signed Denny Nagel. And none of those guys, especially, you know, Mike Hampton was an all star, was a fantastic starting pitcher and the Rockies signed him. And then he was pretty bad at Coors Field. So once that didn't work out one time, they're like, all right, well, that very brief experiment failed. We're never going to give big money to a free agent pitcher ever again because it's just going to be like exactly what happened with Mike Hampton. So they just it fails one time. They're like, all right, we're just not going to try that anymore it, again. It's interesting you brought up about the pitcher part because I remember there was a study. I don't know if it was like fan graphs or one of these famous baseball stats websites said that once the Rockies started using humidifiers to like deaden the ball, I guess. That oh, yeah, the, the Rockies, the, pit, yeah, the humidor, yeah, the humidor, the the Rockies pitchers, the there's actually less home runs or not so much extra bases because the the outfield and in, in, in the outfield is so large, but the home runs yeah. went down, and so yeah. you would then think that pitchers would see that and be like, you know what, maybe it's not so dangerous to go play at five six thousand foot uh, feet above sea level. Yeah, exactly. But I think the the problem, like the Rockies shot themselves in the foot with that because early on they talked it up so much. They were like, oh, we're playing at altitude. It's hard to pitch here. And it was kind of a marketing technique early on. It's like, hey, baseball at altitude, come watch our guys hit the shit out of the baseball. 
but they talked about it for so long. And I think it's just such a dysfunctional organization. That's more why pitchers don't want to go there. And so many teams are on, you know, they're so involved with analytics. And when you're a team like the Rockies and your pitchers have a disadvantage like Coors Field, you should be on the cutting edge of analytics. Like they should be trying to find new ways to help these guys out. And they're behind most teams. So they just, they don't, their player development's horrible. I've heard stories. They had a guy named uh, Mike Talkman. Mike Talkman came up through the Rockies farm system. And in 2019, uh, they ended up trading him to the Yankees. So right when DJ LeMahieu left the Rockies and signed with the Yankees, Talkman went over there too. And when Talkman got to the Yankees, it was a, it, it was the first time he said this. He's like, they gave him, he's an outfielder. They gave him those outfield cards, which showed him, you know, where to like position and play certain hitters. And he's like, we never had these in Colorado. They just told us to like play where you thought had he had the best shot at making it out, which I mean, whatever, but they just weren't giving their players that extra kind of leg up to succeed and try to do better. But Brad, so, fear not, fear not, because Rick Montfort, I just had this breaking news right here. One of his nephews is going to be the head of met- of metrics, baseball metrics tomorrow. He's going to hire someone for the family, uh, a nephew. He's 10 years old, but he's going to be the head of metrics exactly. for the Colorado hey. Rockies. Yeah, that's great. You know, hey, maybe he's a boy genius. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? He's a smart 10-year-old. Put him in. I mean, what's, I, what's the worst that can happen? I know that it seems that it's like a – a love-hate relationship with the Rockies. What about loving comedy? Where did that love for or being like, I want to be in front of people, which is a scary thing for most people. And then I'm going to try to make them laugh, which is you're just doubling down on that. And you're like, I want to thrive in comedy and being a performer. Interesting. That probably started like, you know, I dreamed of being a major league baseball player as a kid. And the dream of being a comedian probably started around the same time, maybe a little bit after. I remember I heard, Bill Burr was talking on a podcast and he said that he would like used to imagine himself doing his favorite comedians bits, like in front of his school, like he'd be on stage and he'd be doing the bits of people. And I had the thought, like I used to think the exact same thing, but I had never like put it in my head. Like, Oh, this is something that you could actually do. Cause I mean, I would just see, you know, I'd see comics on TV. Like I just saw them. Oh, they had an HBO special or they were on comedy central. I'm like, Oh, they just, this is the first or second time they've ever done it. They just happened to be, on TV. This is just something they, I didn't know like all the work that went into it or the actual process of it. So when I got to be, I first time I got on stage, I was 20 years old. I just kind of had this thought. I'm like, you know, I think this is something I've always wanted to do. I saw that movie, funny people that had just came out and it was, you know, I didn't think it was that great of a movie, but it really showed what it was like to kind of start doing stand up. Like it showed the early steps of what it was. And that kind of, switched uh lit something in my brain i was like oh that's what i need to be doing i want to do that i've always wanted to do it and now i kind of see how you do it so i should just go do that and i've been 11 years so that's that's awesome because when you think most people think back at you know when you're in elementary school or you're in high school and you have talent day and so people go up there and do ballet or you know do a magic whatever the heck and i I always like i want to go up there but i'm like how do I entertain people for, what do they give you, like 120 seconds? Yeah. So I can't imagine going up there for 10, 15, 30 minutes, an hour or two. And, it, and, and it's, as you had said earlier, all that hard work has to get pulled, has to be done, the, the, the unglamorous part, so you can actually entertain someone for about four exactly. or five minutes. No, exactly. And I mean, I was never someone that really wanted to be in front of people. 
Like it was, I definitely had some stage fright. Like it was a terrifying prospect to me, but it was something that I had such a strong conviction of. Like, I just, I knew I needed to try it. I'm like, I just have to do this once just to see what it's like or to see if I can do it. I owe that to myself. And then once I did it, I was like, all right, that was terrifying, but fun. And I was like, I think this is something I, I really want to pursue. Because part of, I mean, part of the fun is that it is, it is scary. Yeah. And I mean, the more, the more you do it, I mean, bombing is never fun and it's never, it's never easy. But part of the fun is like when you're walking on stage, you're like, oh, this could go really bad. Like you don't, you don't know if it's going to be the worst show ever or the best show ever, what the people are going to like. And as someone who likes sports, comedy is, it's an art form and a sport because you do kind of have an opponent in the audience. Like they're, you're all part of the same thing. You're supposed to entertain them, but in comedy, you know, they can kind of go against you sometimes and you can go against them and the best, you know, sometimes they don't want to laugh, but you'll say something that's so funny that they will laugh and you feel like you got one over on them. So it is more of a competition, I think, than any other art form because you're, you're, you're trying to get a reaction out of somebody as opposed to, you know, if you're just say you're doing a stage play, like people, they're just there to watch you do that. But this time it's like, no, I'm trying to physically get something out of you. That's interesting. Again, that's interesting you say that because I, I want to, I want to remember, I do listen to a lot of uh, comedians podcasts. And I think that Stavi, how I can never pronounce his last name, how Kavias or oh, Halkius, yeah. Halkius, Stavi Halkius. He, I think he had said something like that, where you almost want to goad the audience into a bad reaction just so you can make it. it, it you're almost playing with them because yeah. you both of you are saying the same are in my opinion, you're saying the same thing, but in different ways of that way you can move them to from love to laugh to repulsion. And I, I think that I think that's brilliant. And it's, you know, who surprised me talking about performances. I don't watch a lot of Colorado Rockies game. Shocker. But I do watch a handful of highlights a week from the Rockies game. And I when the New York Mets were in town, I think I watched like the Saturday game or a couple of the games over the weekend. Okay. I was I was really impressed by one performer. And apparently he might be an all-star this year. The catcher, Elias Diaz. Oh, yeah. Who the heck is he and where did he come from? He made an incredible play that he picked. Up, I think it was a bunt or the ball was driven into the ground. Uh -huh. And he threw it off of his right foot, which is not normal. And he got the guy out. I'm like, where did the Rockies pick this guy up? I've never heard of him. They got him from uh, Pittsburgh. They signed him before the 2021 season. So I think he played maybe like four or five seasons in Pittsburgh. Okay. And he was like, he was like a top, maybe not a top prospect for him, but he was a, you know, a young prospect. And he always had a, a little bit of power, uh, always had a good arm. But I don't know who's catching for the Pirates now, but they, I don't know. They obviously had seen enough and wanted to move on. So the Rockies got him. And I know he was pretty good two years ago. Like he had a few big hits late in the game. But uh, I don't know. He seems like he's just having a career year. Like he's coming into his own. I think he's, I want to say he's like 32. So he's not, you know, crazy young. He's in his early 30s. He's got a good arm. He's pretty good at throwing out base runners. And he's, his, his average is insane this year. He's hitting like three. 360 or something like that. He definitely deserves to be an all-star this year. It'll probably be the only time he's an all-star in his career. So I hope, I hope he's the one that gets it, but yeah, yeah he's been, he, the, Rock, the Rockies have always kind of had trouble finding good catching. And when the last time they went to the playoffs, they had a kid named Tony Walters, who was a middle infielder that the 
the old Indians organization had converted into a catcher. And he was a really good defensive catcher, like called a great game, could throw out base runners, but he had absolutely no power. I mean, I think he had one or two home runs in the three or four years he played here. So just couldn't really drive the ball at all. So the Rockies kind of parted ways with him. And then he might have been in the deal that got Diaz to come here. Yeah, he, you're right. He is 32 years old and he's currently batting 321. So, yeah, I, I yeah this guy, yeah, out of nowhere, it, it, it's incredible. But yeah, so congratulations on him. Maybe the only all-star. I, no, I don't know. Maybe you'll get a Bryant. I don't know. We'll see. I want to do one thing. I want to do a couple of things before we we wrap up. I'm going to take you out of the service industry. Uh, okay. Even though the city of Denver may collapse if that happens. I'm going to take you out of the, uh, out of the comedy scene in Denver, uh, out of the out of Colorado comedy scene, and I'm going to anoint you as the new Major League Baseball commissioner. What's I, I a take couple, that in a second. <laughs> what's a couple of things that you would do as to affect the game in in whatever ways you think as a new MLB commissioner? I like what they've done with the uh, with the new rules. I like the pitch clock a lot. I think that's good. Bigger bigger bases, you know, whatever. That's fine. I think one one thing I would really try to do is I try to make, you know, getting kids to the ballpark a big priority because, you know, people have talked about for a long time how, you know, kids are losing interest in baseball, but it's really, it's kind of kids are losing interest in sports in general. It seems because there's so many more, you know, entertainment options that kids have. They're, they're more obsessed with video games or, you know, just really just doing anything inside period. So I would, I would have uh Probably, you know, in the in the summer, I'd pick, you know, maybe like in in July or August when it's kind of, you know, the dog days of summer and baseball's kind of people are the season's been going on for a while. People are like ready for the NFL to start. And it's not there's still a lot of time before the playoffs. I would have like a week where I don't know, kids, kids under, say, I guess you could do 18 under, maybe 12 and under for a week. They get in free to any major league game that they want to. And you have. You know, all the games, it's like it was, you know, 100 years ago where every game's a day game. If there's not games that are late at night. You have like a series or two a year where every game starts in the day. Kids get in free. Their parents, you know, tickets are cheap for them. And really just kind of try to bring back some of the uh, – I mean, going to a game's crazy expensive. Going to any sporting event, you know, with the, with the family is very hard to do. So something like that, just to – maybe that's – you know, the one week out of the year, maybe some kid goes to every game in that series. And that's the only time they get to go to the ballpark, but they're there. And if they like it enough, they'll be like, Hey, we have to, we have to come back here. I want to keep doing this. Try to get some young blood in the game. I don't know, market the game a little bit better. How so? Just try to, when you have like a young, exciting star, you know, just try to put them like Elias Diaz. Like Elias Diaz? Yeah, or even like, you know, a guy like Jazz, <laughs> like Jazz Chisholm who plays for the Marlins. Like someone who's a little bit flashy. I mean, even like Shohei Otani, who may, maybe he's the greatest player of all time. Amen. Yeah, I mean, ESPN talks about him a decent amount, but the, the, the MLB doesn't really, you know, you don't see him on billboards. He doesn't really have his, I don't know, he doesn't have his own shoe like a like a Michael Jordan was. Maybe that sh- he just doesn't want to. But it seems like the last player that really like, got a bunch of kids into the game and people like a baseball player that people wanted to be was like Ken Griffey Jr. When I was a kid, like I was a Rockies fan, but everyone, the same wavelength. Yep. Everyone loved Griffey and his, you know, his face was, he kind of had the signature look with the backwards cap, but it was something he made baseball cool to a younger generation. I think and it was a teal color as well. 
Yeah, the, yeah, the Mariners logo was cool. <laughs> but just another player like that. I think Jazz Chisholm kind of fits into that box. He's got the dyed hair. and He plays in a flashy city like Miami as well, which yeah. everyone loves to go, especially in the winter. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. And it just, yeah, baseball needs, you know, there's a lot of boring guys in baseball. As much as I like the sport, there are tons of, you know, boring players. You don't have the characters that you do in the NFL or the NBA, or even really the NHL for that matter. NHL seems to have more personalities. Rule change, and this has always been, I've, I've told this to numbers of people, and it gets mixed reactions. Now you have the, the DH in both leagues. Obviously, you have a DH in the AL and the NL, and that was a big, you know, debate for a long time. People, they wanted the DH in the NL. People didn't want a DH in the NL. Some people didn't want a DH, period. They thought, you know, traditional baseball, you have the pitcher, bat. Count me as one of those. Yeah. I'm still I I still don't know how I feel about it. I think I like the DH and the NL, to be honest. But um one thing people argued against the DH is because it they said it added more strategy to the game. And a way I thought you could kind of have the is you give teams the option, you have 160, you have a 162 game season, teams get to use a DH for 81 games out of the season. So you get a DH for half the games, and half the games you don't get a DH. You have to decide before. It's like, all right, are we going to use a DH in this game? And that adds strategy to it because you're like, all right, maybe it's early in the season. You know, our our offense has been fine. Maybe we save those for later in the season when we need more offensive production and we let the pitcher hit today. So I think that way you'd get – because you'd go to the ballpark not knowing. It's like, oh, is the team going to have a DH today or not? And that would be exciting for American League fans because they're like, all right, we're, maybe we'll get to see a team – I mean – Guys that have grown up going to American League parks, they've never seen a pitcher hit before. They're like, all right, maybe we'll have to see our pitcher hit today because, we you know, we've been using the DH a lot recently. We want to save more of those for the end of the season. So I just – I like the idea that it adds strategy and you still – you have the option of seeing a DH. I don't know. It just mixes things up a little bit more. That is super interesting. I, I like that. I haven't heard that one before, but that is very interesting. And it actually adds more of like, you know, NFL, the coach is so important because they have to have a game plan. And in baseball, you know, there's game plans, but they're it's pretty – I mean, in baseball, it's – you know, there's nobody on base. There's a ground ball. You throw the ball to first base. There's not a lot of ways to interpret that. You hit the ball, catch the ball, and throw the ball. But that adds a little more strategy into the game that the manager has to think about before. It's like, right, who's pitching for this team? Who do we have pitching? Do we want to get that extra offense tonight as opposed to, you know, maybe saving it for another series when we're going to need it? I'm on board, sir. I'm on board. Yeah. So I would, I definitely would like to instant. I mean, I'm sh- the, the com- commissioner doesn't have the power to just change whatever rules he wants willy nilly. I know it probably has to go through some committee, but that's the first thing, the first main role thing I'd push for. Commissioner, I'm going to self anoint myself. Can I do that? Is that even, that makes sense? Anyways, I am your senior advisor, whether you like it or not. Number okay. one, I'm going to push back on the point of, youngsters losing interest in baseball. This is true. However, I think over the past, let's say five to seven years, baseball is becoming more popular amongst younger people. One word, concussion. Even former NFL players don't want their kids to play football. Not that to say that they don't, but I think that there are there's a big push to saying if you want our children to be safe, if you have if you have a family, if you have nieces, if you have grandkids, you want to push them towards less contact sports, basketball and baseball. 
hockey is very as a very physical sport. I wouldn't say as physical as football, but it is a physical sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you have baseball, when you see that you can be earning a million dollars being a bench player or potentially $50 million if you're part of that 0.0001% of the genetic freaks of planet Earth, I would say, I think, I genuinely think, this is just completely anecdotal, I genuinely think that in by the end of this decade, baseball will be the second most popular sport in America behind still football. Mm-hmm. Be, because of that, there's a lot of teenagers, there's a lot of kids in middle school who are going to grow up and they're going to be drafted in MLB. They're going to have that pathway. Do I play? Do I do I want to go play at a scholarship at the at uh, for fo- for basketball or for football, or for or go for baseball? I'm a sports fan, just like you. I know you love the the Broncos. You love the the Avalanche, the Rockies, etc. I, I I love all different types of sports, but I think that baseball is going to have a boost. And I think some of the rules that you you agree with the 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 pitch clock, the shorter time, the shorter the shorter game time is just it's going to hook young kids as you say who have short attention spans because they're playing Fortnite and Legend and all these inner you know, the Oculus and all this stuff I call it nonsense but stuff so yeah. I think that we're on a good path as baseball fans that baseball is going to become more relevant not 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 like 1960s 1970s relevant but more relevant than it is than it is today no exactly and I think base maybe baseball's biggest competition they may not know it is probably maybe the sport of soccer without because they're two I mean soccer's the world's game and one one advantage baseball definitely has over American football is it's international football's kind of just played in America you see it like in Mexico now and it's popping up in some other countries I don't know soccer's played everywhere and the the MLS is kind of gaining steam here in America it usually happens after the world cup. Cause people start watching the world cup. They get a little more excited. And like, all right, I want to start going out to soccer. So maybe, I don't know. I'd maybe put more of an emphasis as a commissioner on the world baseball classic too. I know a lot of teams hate that. You're preaching my language. I love the yeah. world baseball classic. I love it. I went to two games see, this year. It was amazing. Yeah. When you see what other teams uh, or what other countries rather, like what they think about it and how into it they are, that's the kind of excitement. Cause I think that's what draws a lot of people to soccer is just that environment in in the crowd at a game and if you have that at more baseball games that's gonna get more young people interested too i love how you just hit the nail when you said it's interesting how other countries perceive and take the world baseball classic seriously because it immediately reminded me of the world cup yeah england is not where soccer football was invented but it's where the laws of soccer football were codified and Mm -hmm. so england was always seen as the exporter of football to Brazil, Mm -hmm. to West Africa, to Asia, et cetera. But England was so snobbish that they never took the World Cup. uh, They never took the World Cup serious for, I think the World Cup, it's been played since like the 1930s. And England didn't take it serious until the 1950s because they're like, we're not going to play in your silly competition because everyone knows that we're the greatest. And that's exactly what the U.S.'s idea, attitude has been. Up until mm-hmm. probably like five years ago, it's like, why would we play the silly games with those silly Venezuelans and those silly Taiwanese? Because everyone knows we're the best. Once we get punched in the mouth and we lose, I think that'll change it. And England completely changed its tune. And to this day, England has only won one World Cup. And no mm-hmm. one thinks of England as some powerhouse. They're 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 a really good team, but no one ever thinks of them, thinks of them as a powerhouse. So I think it's yeah. a good thing that we lost the World Baseball Classic this year because... 
I hope, as you said, people take it more seriously like they do in the Dominican Republic, in Japan. I mean, Japan was absolutely obsessed about the, the it was a mission for them to win the yeah. WBC. Well, it's kind of like when we took bronze in basketball at the 2004 Olympics and everyone was like, all right, that's it was a bad look. How would you and like the, to be commissioner for more than one day? Because I love your ideas, Brad. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe make the world baseball class. I mean, it's I understand why it's at the time that it's at. But I mean, teams are in in, in spring training. So guys are I don't know. There's just a lot of things going on that kind of and maybe it's just looking at it from this country, but it doesn't make it seem like the world baseball classic is as big of an event as it could be. And I mean, you know, the the owners are so stubborn, but on in like World Baseball Classic years, I would petition. It's like, all right, we're going to start. We'll start the season a month later so that everyone, you know, the World Baseball Classic starts like middle of March and guys that are playing on their national team, like they're there like three weeks ahead of time to practice and get ready and treat it like it's the big event that it actually is. And then you can come back, you join whatever, you know, team you're with, and then you get ready for the major league season. But just have it so that – because, I mean, you have spring training games going on at the same time as World Baseball Classic games, and it's like that should be the only baseball going on at that right. time. Be- because the, all the leagues in, in world soccer, world football, they shut down last fall Yeah, for the World for the World Cup. They're like, all right, we're shutting this down for two months. Yeah, yeah so it, it definitely can be done, but it's it's the, the lack of will, as you said, mm-hmm. from, from the owners more than anything. And also, I don't like it how, you know, the World Cups, it was in Qatar. It was in one country last year. And the World Baseball Classic, you'll always have, you know, games in Asia and games in the U.S. I think it should all be in one country. Like, let America host the entire thing one time. And then you have all the games in Mexico one year, some other country in the Caribbean. And you have every team play in Japan in four years. So that, you know, that makes it more of like an international event because every team that's in the event they're all in this one country and you know all their fans could go out to it it was really exciting to see the czech republic team in the world baseball classic this past year like that was a fun story yeah they had they had what the the geography teacher like a optometrist like just the most just normal normal people playing at the highest level which was insane yeah that was very fun to watch yeah just to kind of have them all in one country and their, their fans from their country would travel there and make it like an actual, like a big event. Hey, look, I'm all, I'm on board for commissioner Gali 2020, 2024. So if you yeah. need a campaign manager, perfect. You know, you know what to call. I like it. It's great. Not only are we calling you upon to save baseball around the world, we're going to call upon you to give us recommendations when people want to go to Denver to watch the, the Colorado Rockies, maybe to watch an NBA finals game that's, that's going on right now, because you were, you, as you said, at the top of the show, you work in the service industry. Who yes. else better to know the amazing food, the coffee, the place for a drink that you would go in the Denver area. Give us a couple of places, two, three, four places that you enjoy for a coffee drink uh, or food in the Denver area. Okay, so around Coors Field in, in downtown Denver where the Rockies play, you're going to a Rockies game. I have to give a shout-out. This bar doesn't exist anymore. It was a place called El Chorito, which it was my first job in Denver, and it was a comedy venue, too. They had shows Friday and Saturday, but it was right you know, a, like a block away from the stadium. They had you know great cheap Mexican food and great cheap beer. You can't go there anymore. It's closed, but it was, it was the best. You should know that. So if you're going to a game in, in this year in 2023 – a food spot you have to hit up 
and they have carts in the stadium. It's a place called Biker Gyms, and they do gourmet hot dogs. So they have, uh, I don't know what type of hot dog bun, but their hot dog buns are fantastic. And then they have hot dogs made out of, you know, they have bison hot dogs. They have antelope hot dogs. You're elk. making my, water, my, my mouth water. Bison, yeah, bison meat is the best. Yeah, they have a pheasant and rattlesnake hot dog that's really good. I know it's an interesting mix. Hard pass. Uh, yeah, an elk jalapeno cheddar sausage. But they do these really, you know, wild exotic meats, and they have these nice toppings for all of them. Anthony Bourdain had that on, uh, I think it was his Parts Unknown show. He went to Denver like back in 2008, and he said, you know, Denver's not really known for its food. It's getting better. But Anthony Bourdain said at that time that the only reason to go to Denver was to eat at Biker Gyms. That might have been a kind of a bold statement, but, you know, he kind of knew what he was talking about. So it's worth checking out for sure. Uh, bars around the stadium. I like a bar called, there's a place called Star Bar, which is really close to Coors Field. It's on Laramie. They'll have live music on the weekends. You know, Colorado's a big craft beer place. So it's like a dive bar that has a lot of good beers on tap. So it's got that dive bar environment with good beers. And this is a little bit of a walk from the stadium. It's on, it's in a place called Ryder Square. So it's 15th in Larimer. It's about a 15 minute walk from Coors Field, which isn't bad. You know, you can maybe get on a Lyft scooter or take a very cheap Uber. Or just walk, as you said. A lot of East Coast listeners will know you can just walk 15 minutes. Yeah, that's true. Like I've always, I'm one of the few people that walk a lot in Denver, but I forget that it's more, a lot of people are very against walking out here, unless it's hiking in the mountains. They won't walk around the city. They'll drive somewhere to walk around, but they won't walk around the city. But the place, it's a 15 minute walk. It's a place called Red Square. And it's uh, like a Ukrainian place. They have really good pierogies. They have really good uh, latkes. They have good uh, borscht. They have all this Eastern European food and they have 30 different uh, infused vodkas that are really good. So they have like dill pickle vodka. They have horseradish vodka. They have like all the fruity ones. They have strawberry. Pheasant, pheasant infused vodka. Yeah, no, no pheasant infused vodka. But that's uh, that's a really cool place to check out. And another place, this is they're only open during the day. It's like a little diner. So if you ever go into a day game, Colorado, maybe a weekday day game or a Sunday afternoon game, there's a place called the 20th Street Cafe. And Coors Field's on 20th and Blake. The 20th Street Cafe is like 20th and Arapaho. So it's like just three blocks down 20th. You literally, you literally walk right into the stadium after you eat at this place. And uh, it was a diner that opened in the 1940s. A Japanese family who had just got out of one of the internment camps that was in Colorado opened this place. And it was you know, a Denver stable for years. They shut it down in COVID. They sold it to another immigrant family from Chihuahua, Mexico. And now it's like a they have to have a diner with like traditional Chihuahuan Mexican food. So it's really affordable, really cheap. Denver is, uh, it's known for its Mexican food. There's a lot of good Mexican food in Denver. I had no now, idea. People from Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California will argue that because it's like Colorado and New Mexico and Texas, they always argue over Mexican food. I think New Mexico has the best Mexican food because, I mean, it, it would make sense. It's, it's New Mexico. And like every, they have all, all of, those new recipes. That's why they got the, the 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 advanced recipes. Yeah, but all of the like New Mexico, Texas, and Colorado, they all have their version of Mexican food. And then there's like still like traditional Mexican food out here too. Like Colorado green chili is a, a big thing, and Twentieth Street Cafe has pretty good green chili. So if you want to get, you know, an authentic kind of Colorado Mexican food experience, go there before the game, and it's pretty affordable too. 
you're not spending a lot of money. Those are two biker gyms in the 20th Street Cafe are places you should eat around the stadium that you won't find anywhere else. When you're telling me about this Ukrainian place that has like 35 different infused vodka, I mean, like, I feel like if I would go there after like a bad night, I might want to just go and invade Kansas because that's that sounds like too much vodka. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely go to. Yeah. One of those places before the game, Red Squares and after and after the game place. And it, it is I mean, you obviously can't overdo it. But since it's like infused vodka, it's not uh you know, the crazy alcohol. All right. All right. So the people of Kansas are not going to be in peril if I decide to go and invade Kansas from uh, from this Ukrainian bar. No, you'll, well, you'll be fine. Okay, good. Brad, I want to thank you for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation. If you want to tell us where people can catch you performing, uh, your, your stand-up, and also your social media. Uh, yeah, on Instagram, I'm Denver Cheddar. That's my handle, D E. N-V-E-R-C-H-E-D-D-A-R. So Denver the City, Cheddar the Cheese. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Bradical Galley, B-R-A-D-I-C-A-L-G-A-L-L-I. Um, as far as uh, I run a, a weekly show every Thursday in Denver, we're not doing the show tonight because it's game one of the NBA Finals. And the last time we tried to compete with the Nuggets playoff game, it didn't work out. But it's every Thursday at a place called Sushi High, which it's in the basement of a sushi restaurant in North Denver every Thursday at 7.30. Check uh, my Instagram bio for the ticket link to that. And uh, anyone, I know you're a Braves fan, I'm going to be doing shows in Atlanta in two weeks. So I'll be down in the Atlanta area and I'll have all those dates up uh, on bradgalleycomedy.com if you in Atlanta you want to see me there. Or if you're ever out in Denver, go to uh, Sushi Eye. And I'm actually going to see the Rockies play the Braves one day while I'm on that trip too. So get to see the Braves in the ballpark. I want to thank Brad for joining us this week. And I also want to thank some new listeners from High End, Giant, Peru, in South America. East Los Angeles. Who knew? I didn't even know East Los Angeles was an actual city. But nevertheless, East Los Angeles, California, Colombo, Sri Lanka, and Arad, Arad, Romania, Romania. People poo on Romania a lot. But actually, that's been on my to-do, not to-do list, to-visit list in the Balkans, or not Balkans, Eastern Europe along with Croatia and Hungary. Enough with geography and more gratitude. Thank you for listening. Loyal listeners, new listener, let's get together next week for a brand new episode of HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Bye.